0: I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) I'm like skunk stink on a bird dog, sir. I linger. (laughs) And I just had dinner with all your friends at the Department of Justice, and wow, your name popped up more than a weasel in a pumpkin patch. (laughs) That's right, Mr. President. You can't bully me anymore. For the first time, I'm standing up on my own hind legs. <laughs> okay. How about we say it together for old time's sake, huh? And Live from New York, York it's Saturday, Saturday night.
1: night. It's
0: Saturday Night Live.
1: Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week, we'll be discussing season 43, episode 14 of SNL with host Charles Barkley and musical guest Migos. I'm John Murray, and with me as always is comedy aficionado and five-time Grabby Award winner, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or rather Apple Podcasts. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Charles Barkley! So for the remainder of March, we have our episode rundown. We're getting Sterling K. Brown, NBC's Golden Boy from This Is Us, with musical guest James Bay next week. And then for March 17th, SNL alum Bill Hader with musical guest Arcade Fire. I think it's his second time coming in. Uh, what do we think?
0: What's uh, March shaping up to be? Uh, March is looking fine. Sterling K. Brown, this is going to be a treat. I'm a big fan of his. I uh, I think I learned who he was from that O.J. Simpson uh docudrama
1: yeah he was really good in that
0: american crime story yeah he won Mm -hmm. he won emmys for that i think i never watched this is us (laughs) i've i've seen commercials that have made me cry but i've never actually (laughs) seen an episode but it looks like a quite a slice so yeah uh great actor all around great dude it seems he'll be a fun i'm spacing on who james bay is i probably know who that is if I heard a song,
1: he is a, um, very skinny, pasty, scraggly British, uh, sort of pop rock guy. I think I don't know him either. I spent about 15 seconds on Wikipedia just to get familiar. And, uh, yeah, he's an up and comer. He's not really like an established name who's been around for a long time. So we'll see what he's all about. Yeah. Uh, arcade fire, you and I are both very well aware of Montreal's, celebrated whatever they are. I don't know if you can even categorize their type of music, but uh, <laughs> they're back for what? Is this This like their third or fourth appearance?
0: It feels like it.
1: Yeah. They, they've been around quite a bit at SNL. So.
0: Well, I'm hoping they can help with the draw. I, I do remember Bill Hader, last time he hosted, the, the ratings were like an all-time low for the show. Oh, really? So, yeah. That was a, a historically poorly viewed episode. Hmm. But yeah, Arcade Fire's obviously got a big crowd, mostly around the age of the type of people are that are tuning into SNL. Yeah. So yeah, could go either way. We'll see. It's going to be a good show in terms of quality. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised that Bill Hader's last outing was so poorly received. Was it up against something else that was just way more popular? Or any <sighs> like, do we know why it it tanked?
0: Well, maybe Bill Hader is a bigger name to us than <laughs> the common reason. man. Like. Yeah, we think he's amazing and he is in a lot of comedy stuff. He's he's kind of a that guy actor to a lot of people though. Right. Oh, that guy from Superbad, that guy from <laughs> yes. year one, you know, yeah. like it could have been just name recognition.
1: That's true. He's not a huge known quantity outside of like the comedy nerd community. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the billboards are going to say, uh, you know, celebrated South park writer, Bill Hader. Right. Like, I mean, <laughs> right. uh, yeah, he's not, uh, I, I, I can see that. I'm just, I'm really surprised because when he was on the show, he was such a, uh, a grounding force. Like he was so ever present and so heavily utilized. I just, I kind of thought that, you know, the world knew and loved him as much as the SNL super nerds do, but maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So maybe not a big star power month, but, potentially some really good shows in the mix here. Well, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so too. Now, before we get into our episode recap, I want to just kind of uh step out here for a minute and talk to our audience a little bit about the state of the cast, because as our regular listeners probably know for season 43, our release schedule has kind of been blown all to hell. And even the, uh, the last three episodes that we recorded in earlier January, I have yet to post them to the feed. So, Uh, I've been getting more than a few people, (laughs) uh, very eager to know, you know, what's happening with the cast (laughs) or, you know, is there some sort of like behind the music level drama between you and me that is just going to, uh, you know, burn the house to the ground. People want to know what's up because, uh, obviously this is not typical of a podcast to have the sporadic and, uh, and, uh, delayed releases that we've had lately. So I just want to talk a little bit about that.
0: Are you back on the straws? Is that, what, is that <laughs> <Yes>. what's happening?
1: <laughs> so anyways, just to uh, give everyone kind of a a picture of of where things are at. I pretty much produce and edit this uh, as kind of a solo man operation. And when I started a little over a year ago, I uh, had a bit more time on my hands. Things were kind of on autopilot with my company. And I just felt like I had the time available each week to produce the podcast the way that I'd want it to be produced. the The original idea for the cast was just to try and do something with a level of production quality and preparation and and just attention to detail and and quality and care that it would kind of be a a step above the the typical TV recap, casual conversation cast that there's way too many of. That was what I was shooting for. And at the time I thought, well, I'm going to have all the time in the world. Like how long does it really take to put together an episode of a podcast? (laughs) Uh, Since then, I've learned a lot of lessons. Uh, One is uh, it takes a long time to do it right a really long time. Uh we could put these out really really quickly, but I've tried to hold the line and not let myself lower the quality for the sake of getting it out on time. And I've clung to that, you know, for my own reasons because I'm a perfectionist because I really want, you know, anyone who ends up discovering the feed after the fact to get the best quality version of the episodes that's available, but when it comes right down to it, uh I'm not doing our audience any favors and I'm really kind of killing the cast in a way by being so dogmatic about keeping the quality level high, but You know, at this point, uh, you know, (laughs) even being like a month behind in releases, that's you know, that's ridiculous. Nobody's going to be interested in in hearing about an SNL episode from two months down the line. So that was kind of a harsh reality. I thought that my editing skills would get quicker. I thought that you know these I would be able to start churning these out, and it just hasn't happened because week over week, no matter what I do, it always takes at least twenty hours minimum to pull this thing together the way that I would like. And unfortunately, that's just not feasible for me anymore. It's just not something that I can keep up. My work has gotten exceptionally crazy since last fall and that hasn't let up and you get behind by one episode and then that's, you know, sitting in the queue waiting to be edited. And then we record another one. and Now that's sitting in the queue and, uh, I just can't keep up. So something's got to change.
0: We just give up completely.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't think we're quite at that point. Uh, so here's, what's going to change. I'm wiping the deck clean here. We have three episodes that are. In production that I was hoping to get out before we sat down to record this one, uh, and also a, a little side interview that I want to put out too, but I can't continue to let current episodes linger in the pipeline for over a month while I hope to be able to catch up. Because the reality of the situation is, with my current work schedule and with other, you know, life drama and stuff that's coming up, I, you know, I'm not going to get too far into it, but. I knocked up some chick and now it's turned into this whole thing. Whoa. It's just, you know, a uh, full disclosure, the chick is my wife, but, uh, morning sickness and all the other fun that comes with the first trimester of a pregnancy has also turned me into kind of a, uh, a Mr. Mom. And that is eating into what otherwise would have been podcast editing time. So for the foreseeable future, I am, uh, just not going to be able to do it the way that I would like to do it. And that hurts because I really wanted to, be able to have a high quality podcast and get it out in a timely fashion and just, you know, make everybody happy all the time. But, uh, that's just not where we're at right now. So here's what we're going to do. We are scrubbing the deck. We are starting fresh those episodes that we didn't get out from January. I am very hopeful that as we have hiatuses throughout the rest of the spring and maybe into the early summer, I'll be able to finish the edit and I can put them out and then, for posterity, just kind of put them into the cast feed where they would have gone otherwise. Um, so they will exist at some point and you will be able to listen to them. If anyone still cares about, uh, the Will Ferrell episode or the, Or the other ones who, uh, or the Natalie Portman episode. See, this is the problem.
0: You could hardly remember. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. After a week.
1: (laughs) So those, those do exist. The rough cuts have been out for our Patreon supporters since we recorded them. But for the general public, those will materialize at some point, but I'm not going to let the current cast get delayed in the interest of finishing those up first. So I'm just setting them aside. I'm rebooting. And I'm saying from here on out, the cast is going to go live. By Wednesday at 1130, no matter what. Oh boy. And in order to do that, I'm basically just going to put out the best version of the cast that I can muster with the amount of time I have between Monday and Wednesday. So. Sometimes the cast is going to be loosely edited. There's going to be a lot of ums and ahs and fumbles that are kind of left in the conversation. Sometimes maybe we won't be able to do a lot of clip prep for, you know, our chaser clip and our (laughs) our extravagant intro and, you know, all the other little production flourishes that I like to incorporate in the cast. A lot of that is probably going to get sacrificed for the next little while in order for us to keep to that schedule. And then as my time allows, you know, maybe we'll be able to Uh, tighten things up and get the the production quality up where I'd like it. But at least in the meantime, I'm going to promise our audience that one way or another, something is going to drop in the feed Wednesday night and it's going to be the best possible version that I could give you guys that week. And uh, I hope that uh, (laughs) our audience sticks with us. And uh, once my kids are off to college, then I can focus full time on the podcast and and, uh, then it'll be a no compromise situation. But until that happens, we're going to do our best, but from here on out Wednesday night, at the latest, you're getting your podcast for the rest of 43.
0: Another nice thing about that is, is that it follows the spirit of the show that we talk about, <laughs> SNL. They they got to rush. They don't get any extensions. They got to go on air at 1130 yep. on on Saturday night. And, you know, sometimes they got to walk away from a sketch unfinished or could use another rewrite. I think it's uh, it's kind of cool that we're doing something in the same vein.
1: You can't see it, but in the interest of trying to keep this production schedule, I put up a little banner behind my computer monitor that says we don't release the cast because it's ready. We release the cast because it's 1130, which is as most SNL super nerds would know a quote from Lauren Michaels. That is kind of his mantra to give people perspective on not being too precious with their material, right? You can't just rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and then let the live show suffer. And that's kind of, The fatal flaw to my approach. I'm letting perfectionism and life get in the way of something that could still be perfectly enjoyable if I just put it out and accepted that maybe it's not everything I wanted to be, but there's probably still a little bit of fun there for people, even if I don't just labor over it excessively. Mm -hmm. Who was
0: it that said, um, art is never completed. It's merely abandoned,
1: right? Uh, I don't know, but it was George Lucas who quoted that. (laughs) That's, that's where I heard it was in some like star Wars documentary. I think he was talking about how he went back and put all the little digital effects in his movies because he wasn't happy with the original '80s versions. Yeah. But yeah, so this, uh, this is what it is. I'm trying to do my best for the audience, but, uh, life is going to be crazy for me for a while. And I either had to decide, do I just close up shop or, uh, do we figure out a better approach? And, Uh, if we didn't have an audience, I would have just closed up shop. I'd say, you know, we're a year into it. We haven't found an audience time to go, but we have uh, several thousand people that let me know in certain terms when the podcast is late and I don't, uh, I don't want to just leave them hanging. I want to do right by them as much as I can. So even though this is very much a hobby cast at its core, right, there's, there's no funding or personnel or staff behind it, making it happen. Uh, I still want to try and and do right by y'all and that's what I'm going to do. So now that I've said it out loud for everyone to hear, hopefully that'll be uh, a little bit of added pressure that'll help keep me on track too.
0: I'll be, uh, I'll be breathing down your neck too.
1: By all means. If you don't see it Wednesday night, give me hell. What the hell, man? (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's jump into the show. Hold open. Trump offers a message of healing and unity at his second bipartisan symposium. What'd you think of uh, Alec Baldwin's return as Trump?
0: Really great, and uh, you can kind of see maybe a, a a second wind in his uh his performance, probably you know f- following up with the uh the feud well I, it's an ongoing feud, but the the last exchange between trump and and uh, Alec baldwin right Alec baldwin said it's it's agony to play trump, <laughs> but uh, as a service to the country he's going to continue doing it. Mm-hmm. Into the impeachment and the yeah. <laughs> and the res- resignation speech, and I got a sense that there was a, a, a renewed energy after he pretty much made that pledge. Sure, and uh, yeah, I thought it was great. It was uh, pretty well written. It was mostly just talking head. It was more or less a straight up monologue mm-hmm. from Alec as Trump. But uh, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was pretty good.
1: Okay, all right. I wasn't super hot on it. I think you're right that there was a little bit more fire in Alex performance than maybe we've seen the last few. It did seem like maybe he was trying a little harder to find some f- funny beats in the the Trump impersonation. He probably wouldn't be doing it still if it wasn't so delicious to know that Trump hates it. Uh, it is really funny that Trump kind of plays right into that <laughs> and, and just yeah. keeps adding fuel to the fire or else. Yeah. Alec Baldwin would have been gone a long time ago. I'm sure. Yeah. So I was just kind of lukewarm on it. I felt like it wasn't super inspired. I did like the little bit in the middle where he kind of pivots and starts talking about how he's running the white house all by himself and then gets into everybody kind of abandoning ship. Like there was a little bit there when he's talking about the communications director walking away and he gets a little like sleazy and does a little like tongue effect. There was some funny there, but there just wasn't a whole lot that I felt was holding this together. I felt it was pretty run in the mill and uh, yeah, just really didn't work great for me.
0: You know, a surefire sign that they were losing steam was when they just decided to throw in Jeff Sessions.
1: Yeah, exactly. Your obligatory Kate McKinnon political impression of the week. Yeah. I feel like maybe if you pared this down to about half the length, there was enough there. But just the kind of running through the news, you know, through Trump's monologue there for the first half of it, and then some stale Sessions jokes is just really not enough for me at this point. So I would have liked to see something more or a new venue for Trump. If you're going to bring in Trump, you know, try and find something creative to do with him rather than just put him behind a desk. Those were the things that I just don't want to keep seeing that we saw a lot of in this one. And that's kind of why it wasn't working. Yeah. All right. So marginal win for you. Marginal loss for me.
0: Let's find something we can agree on.
1: Okay. Monologue. Charles Barkley is back to defend his fellow athletes speaking out.
0: This was a pretty uh, good idea for a monologue. Maybe this is the reason that Charles Barkley was asked to come back. Mm-hmm. He even said himself in the monologue that he was there for no reason, other than to talk about Black Panther. Sure. <laughs> but, you know, I think he made a really good point with the whole subject matter of his, of his monologue. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I've been guilty of saying things along the lines of shut up and dribble. Like, <laughs> you're a musician, you're, a, you're an athlete. I don't care what your opinion is or yada yada. <laughs> but there is value in, in being in the public eye. Even if you're not a lobbyist or a, you know, a political figure or someone who's meant to, uh, you know, back causes. Sure. A basketball legend, maybe just, uh, popular enough to, to sway some opinions and there is value to that.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think once you cross the line into having a reality TV president, basically everybody in the country is qualified to do anything they want to do. So uh, I think the conversation of who has the right to talk about what issues, I, I think the, the ship has sailed on, on that one personally. Yeah. But let's let's just talk about this as pure comedy here because there was a lot of like applause moments of, oh yeah, he's saying things that we need to agree with because that's the social climate. But was there anything here that you were actually grinning at?
0: I really enjoyed the exchange between him and Michael when Michael joined him. Mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed that. Mike leans into the controversy. He stirs <laughs> sure. with his jokes. And I guess he's just wearing it like armor. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty good comparison between them. You know what Charles was trying to say and what Jay generally does with his comedy.
1: Right. Yeah. Fair enough. I wasn't really loving it. <laughs> so, so I'm still over two on the show. Uh, I like. Charles Barkley's earnestness. I like that he's trying his best to speak fluently and just (laughs) failing horribly. I like that. Like that didn't throw me off. The fact that a lot of the jokes were fumbly and he almost, you know, missed the punchline on a few of them. And it really was shaky. That wasn't the problem for me. It just felt super safe. It felt super politically charged rather than really seeking out any great funny and it just didn't feel super inventive. Um, pulling in Che, I felt that seemed like a necessary thing just to have some comedy in it, <laughs> you know, to, to <laughs> just put someone there who can land a couple jokes and try and bring something to it. Cause otherwise it, it really was just Charles Barkley pontificating for a couple minutes. And, uh, I just didn't feel like, uh, the comedy was terribly solid.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> Let's try and find a, a diamond in this mine.
1: <laughs> All right. Moving on. First live sketch of the night, the Academy of sexual harassment and misconduct in Hollywood presents the grabbies celebrating this year's worst behavior and entertainment. All right. Now
0: we're getting somewhere. We can, <laughs> we can, we can sink our teeth into this.
1: Okay. What do you got? Well,
0: this is obviously, you know, as a whole, this whole episode's very much chock full of social commentary mm-hmm. of today's, uh, social climate. Yep. I think this was a good, good way of framing it. There's a very recognizable delivery and energy from these personalities who cover these red carpet events. Mm -hmm. Everybody's out. It's a magical (laughs) night. We've heard it on ET. We've heard it every time there's been an Oscars or an Emmys to replace the content (laughs) with, you know, something that wouldn't normally be celebrated. It's a great way of turning that trope on its head yes. and using it for some good uh, good opportunities for laughs.
1: Yep. See, now I'm wondering how I was feeling when I was watching the show because I thought I was in a really good mood, but uh when we got to this sketch, I was already feeling a little burnt out on a lot of heavy-handed politics between the cold open and the monologue. Sure. So when we had yet another outing of men are evil, I just didn't want another outing of this particular topic. So I don't know. I <laughs> I thought I was ready to just take the show on its terms, but I was really struggling at this point. There was nothing wrong with it, but I just wasn't loving it. Oh boy. I'm going to try and be objective and say it was a win because it was a good sketch. It was solid. The writing was good. It was a good concept. So there's nothing I can point to and say that this was a loss. But for me personally, at this point in the show, I'm just hoping that we're going to get away from the politics and the current events and the social climate stuff and just do something goofy and fun to kind of, you know, reset my palate and kind of get me invested in the show. And we just weren't quite there yet. Sure. All right. Moving on. We get our first pre-tape of the night. Ned's roach away. The only thing that can stop a bad roach is a good roach with a gun.
0: Okay. So some more social commentary.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> heavy handed, like this is not, uh, a subtle allusion to a, a social topic. Yeah. What'd you think?
0: It was just so ridiculous. There was definitely a lot to laugh at. Mm -hmm. Basically the concept itself, actually seeing it executed is, is cartoonish and (laughs) you you almost wouldn't think it would work. You'd probably think it would, it would uh, play to silence, but something about it made me, uh, made me roll around. Mm -hmm. We might be tired of all this liberal social justice stuff, but whatever. Okay. I thought on its own, it was good.
1: All right. I thought it was good too. Uh, I'm not going to get overly concerned with the politics of it. Uh, People can land wherever they want on that issue, but the idea of roaches marching with machine guns (laughs) and shooting up a house and uh, you know, the, the absurdity of the roach wrangler, making sure that they're all devout Christians and they're grooming their children to be the next generation. Like there was a lot that they found to comment on. So it was absurd to a degree that I had to grin at. I thought that it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And despite the fact that this was another politics heavy kind of just browbeating you with a political point of view, which I don't really like on SNL. So even though it had that working against it for me personally, I couldn't help, but be won over by the stupidity of just seeing the roaches <laughs> devastate the house and the family just kind of like laughing it off as everything around them is being blown to crap. Yeah. Uh, that's just funny. It's just funny. So it, it definitely worked at that level. Absolutely. Yep. So I enjoyed it. So we do have a couple wins here that are starting to make me feel good, but I'm still very wary that this is just going to be politics end to end tonight. And so I was really happy to see our next live sketch. Cable access host, Mr. Leonard and Bobo suffer through a series of juvenile prank calls. I
0: thought 80 was great. She was the anchor that kept this tied together. I'm guessing that that was Mikey day controlling the puppet.
1: Yeah. Well, he stuck his head up at one point, right? Yeah. He was kind of like the the surly puppeteer there.
0: Oh yeah. Obviously plot wise, he was meant to be the puppeteer in the sketch, Mm -hmm. but I would also assume that he was literally working the puppet as well. Not the first time he's done it.
1: Oh, no, he, he definitely was. Yeah. And he's quite a capable puppeteer. But yeah, it was definitely him controlling the puppet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Shouldn't even debate it. <laughs> <laughs> this was exactly what I wanted to see at this point in the show. There was nothing deep here. There was <laughs> nothing other than goofy, raunchy fun. <laughs> there's there's nothing really to read into here. I just, I enjoyed it. And I it was a breath of fresh air after such a politically heavy uh, opening run of sketches tonight. So this was good. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. All right. Moving on. On cable sports talk show, the champions, three legendary athletes discuss the merits of their respective sports with a cameo from Alex, a rod Rodriguez, no less. This all
0: relied on Keenan's performance. Right. And this is why Keenan is brought up for stuff like this. You've seen it last time. Trump hosted anybody who needs some help. Right. Um, selling comedy on stage because it's not their forte. Mm-hmm. Keenan's the guy to send in. He can hold a sketch with a bunch of corpses (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, he was, he was dynamite in this.
1: Okay. I like the idea of a concussed football player going on a talk show and just not being able to hold it together. I think that's a funny premise for a sketch. I feel like this was kind of clunky and I feel like for some of the reasons that you stated, you know, we've got two of the, the panelists not really being able to contribute a lot comedically and kind of weighing down the sketch a bit, by not really finding the beats or fumbling over their lines a little bit. So there was some things that tended to suck the energy out of it. I feel like it was a great try for Keenan, but overall when it was done, I felt like, oh, that was a fun idea, but didn't quite get there. Uh, I think I'd agree. Okay. All right. So, uh, let's, uh, talk a little bit about Migos. They perform stir fry and Narcos.
0: I really respect the fact that they know exactly what they want to do with their music and their, their look, their style. Mm -hmm. They're pretty dialed into what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I may not understand it completely. I may not enjoy the music itself, but I could definitely see that these guys got a clear vision Yep. from the music to the, to the set design, those beautiful Chinese lanterns. (laughs) It was a really great spectacle. Yes to witness, even though I didn't fully understand what I was witnessing.
1: (laughs) Yes. It was very opulent, very blingy. (laughs) There there was a lot of shiny things to distract you. No doubt. When they started their first song and there's this heavy, continuous layer of auto tune on their vocals. Yeah. I immediately thought, okay, this is going to be the performance that I hate worse than the Troye Sivan performance from a few episodes back. Like this is the one that's going to be my bottom for the season. Uh, because if there's one thing that I don't feel the world needs, it's any more ways to figure out how to weave auto tune (laughs) into pop music. (laughs) So I really, really thought that I was just, I was just going to despise everything that I saw from them. And you know what? By the end of Narcos, I have to admit that I really (laughs) respect their abilities. Uh, it's not my kind of music. Like it's not something that I go out and seek, but this was solid. Like their lyrical structures, their flow, just everything that they were bringing was super precise. Their performance ability was really there. It really was. And the songs themselves, that was pretty solid hip hop. Like that's, that's better than a lot of kind of like the monotone droning on hip hop that seems to, there, there seems to be like sort of a sub genre of that. That's got a foothold right now yeah. that I really can't connect with. This wasn't that kind of like slow, boring hip hop. There was just a lot of feist and just <laughs> rapid launching of lyrics that I really was kind of digging.
0: Yeah, no. And you could tell every syllable yeah. was placed, you know, they came in and out, they, passed the lines back and forth like a game of catch. Mm -hmm. Uh, One would stop singing. The next one would jump right in. It was, it was like a beautiful synchronized sport of some kind.
1: Yep. Very precise. These guys uh, definitely know their craft. And I did kind of, appreciate that they were performing their own hooks too. It wasn't like they had a background singer layering in like the melodic quality of the song for them because they're limited to just their rap portion. So there was something kind of impressive about that, that end to end, it was their performance
0: looking at you, Eminem. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just, I really thought that there was a, a lot here. If you're, if you're a hip hop fan, I could totally respect if you said that these are the guys like these are what you're into right now. I, I could totally see why. Yeah. It'll never be my cup of tea, but I will applaud the craftsmanship of it.
0: Yeah. I would never accuse someone of having bad taste for liking Migos, even though I'm not going to be getting into it.
1: (laughs) All right. Let's talk weekend update for their lead in. Jost and Che talk White House resignations and gun control.
0: Really great stuff here. Both guys were on the ball tonight. First few jokes landed really well. Yep. I just love that this Weekend update has such a consistent voice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's just home run after home run with these guys. Yeah. So impressed.
1: Yeah, this was a far cry from bad weekend update. This was pretty solid, but I will say that I don't think that this was peak weekend update for 2018. Like I think we've seen better in the last run. Sure. I feel like Che's rally against Hunting for Sport, like his little stand-up uh, rant there in the middle, you know, what he's, it's kind of become his signature move to have that little block of the opening salvo to do his little, you know, here's my view on things. I felt like that was not his strongest and I felt like it was very divisive and a little heavy handed for him to kind of hit it the way that he did. Like making it about hunting is probably not the best way to come at gun control. Yeah, Like there's a lot of things you can say about gun control, but to alienate the people that just sincerely enjoy hunting for food. And I mean, we're, we're Canadians. That's a, a big part of the culture up here. Like there is something traditional and some could argue like wholesome and not inappropriate about that. But if that's what he's going to swing at, he's potentially alienating people that very well could be on his side for the whole AR 15 debate. So I felt like if he's really trying to, have a smart voice and a smart take on this. I felt like it was the wrong way to frame it. Yeah. And so for that, I was a little pulled out. There's just something that I felt like didn't need to be shot at there (laughs) for pun intended, I guess. So I don't know. That wasn't super working for me, but that just might be the Canadian bent on the whole thing.
0: Yeah. We, we do love our hunting, especially where I'm at here in Newfoundland.
1: Yeah.
0: We're just like, come on, kill some moose. Yeah. Kill some seals.
1: (laughs) 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 Want to talk about our first feature? By all means. All right. Former Trump administration communications director, Hope Hicks discusses her semester abroad at the white house.
0: The angle that they took with Hope Hicks was basically painting her as (laughs) a university student, basically in that culture. Mm -hmm. It's good because she's relatively young. She, she is quite beautiful and we haven't heard much from her directly. So that kind of leaves us a blank canvas.
1: I didn't know she existed.
0: (laughs) I had heard about her. I think she was like a former model, for Ivanka's clothing line or something. She's definitely not qualified for the job, but I got to commend Cecily for coming up with this character, even though she's already done another character similar to it. The girl you wish she hadn't started a conversation with. Right. Two very different characters, and it just shows her diversity that she can draw from that well and and create two very unique personalities. Sure. Even that vitamin C (laughs) music, when that came in, I was like, oh. This is some tight stuff.
1: Yeah, it was pitch perfect. I had a note about that too, the uh the Puckle Bell Canon and D yeah. <laughs> graduation song. When that kind of faded up in the background, I'm like, yep, you found the tone. This is absolutely pitch perfect, like how you wanna present this character. Yeah. Right. She's she has all these allusions to her time at the White House essentially like being summer camp to her or you know, her semester abroad or whatever. It just it was such a a fun, sharp way to frame it. I loved it. Absolutely. All right, moving on. We get another feature. Resident movie buff, Kyle Mooney, was not invited to Colin's Oscar party. Uh,
0: I feel like this is me. I think this is what my uh, quote-unquote friends do behind <laughs> my back. Sure. I, You ever get that feeling that all your friends are out having fun somewhere and you were just not called?
1: <laughs> yeah, every, every time I log into Instagram.
0: Yeah, man, everybody's everybody's living life. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. If you were to describe this to me before I even saw it, like what this whole concept was, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously I'd be like, yeah, Kyle Mooney. I could see doing that, pulling it off because this is his bread and butter. Awkward. Yeah. You know, that's one of his main tools is is palpable awkwardness. (laughs) Yes. And I love the fact that this felt so unofficial. Mm -hmm. Like he was having a conversation, not just with Michael, who he came out next to, but like Colin was basically just as involved with that interview. As Michael was. Right. So it kind of felt like it was actually derailing. It it gave it the sense that Kyle is putting these two guys in a, in an awkward position. Right. And yeah, I think it played really well.
1: Yeah. It was pretty good. Kyle. He really is. Yeah. Kind of the, the king of creating those moments of awkward silence where the audience is just struggling to know whether it's a joke or not. Like whether, is this the funny point? Is this where we should laugh or are we, you know, what are we supposed to be feeling? Mm-hmm. It, it kind of seems like Kyle Mooney is exceptionally good at just toying with people that way and not really letting them know exactly how to take something. Yeah. There's, there's something really smart about that. I enjoy these. I know they're really challenging. I know a lot of people don't really connect with them, but uh, I I find it to be, you know, similar to the Bruce Chandlings that I usually count as a win, right? Those, those can be up and down depending on how good the material is, but the character itself, the idea of a character that's out there intentionally to sort of lose the sympathy of the audience and almost to like, just be the, the dejected one. There's something really creative about being able to find humor in that. And uh, Kyle's good at it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think you have to have a tinge of awkwardness yourself to be able to appreciate what he does. Yeah. I think the ones who can't handle him are probably the ones who uh, don't get social anxiety when they leave the house.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He's probably pulling from life experience, right? Like he definitely is able to embody this (laughs) more than some players might be able to. So yeah, this is, there's probably some truth here for Kyle that uh, he's able to find the, (laughs) find the humor in. Uh, okay. Let's keep moving for our last feature. Leslie Jones delivers her firsthand report on the winter Olympics. And we get a walk on from Hillary Knight, gold medal winner for women's hockey. Well,
0: not surprised in the least. I would expect once Leslie came back from Korea to do a bit on her experience there. Sure. I thought she was great. She is the queen of delivery. Mm -hmm. Her material doesn't have to be super Clever, super, brilliant stuff. A lot of her laughs are generated just from her her energy, the way she speaks, you know, the way she puts emphasis on things, and that's why she rarely misses when she's there because she can just turn it on like a faucet. Okay. And uh, yeah, I thought it was some good stuff. <sighs> the only thing with Leslie is she's got that one style, and there's so many other cast members that you know they're like chameleons. And, uh, think about people who like Leslie Jones, where they have that one personality, that one persona, if you don't like that, there's nothing else to sure to see them do. Yeah. So that's why she's such a polarizing, uh, cast member for a lot of people,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but yeah, it's, it's moments like this where I see why she is so valued on that show. Okay.
1: Yeah. I can't fault her delivery. You know, the energy was there. The personality was there. I feel like this was very much a, Hey, the Olympics happened. And not only did they happen, they were an NBC property this year. So just like, you know, when the world series happens or the super bowl happens, they always bring in some of the, you know, the champion players or whatever to do a walk on. It felt like this was just, this is what we're doing for the winter Olympics this year. This is our acknowledgement of it. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't feel like there was anything super special here. It was just really sort of an obligatory traditional thing that the show always does. And uh, they used Leslie for obvious reasons, right? She was there. She was sort of the, um, the show's ambassador to the Olympics. So uh, it all makes sense, but there wasn't anything super memorable here. I felt like a lot of this was just throwaway material generated specifically to create the opportunity for Hillary Knight's walk on and give her a little girl power moment. So, I mean, for what it is, which is just, you know, nothing spectacular. It was perfectly serviceable. I guess that's, <laughs> that's my final word on it. Serviceable. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Back half of the show. We get a live sketch. A determined contestant goes all in on match game, hump or dump. I like this one a lot. We've
0: seen these bachelor type sketches before. I think the last time we saw it, we didn't have Alex Moffitt or Chris red. They, uh, they played that character, that type a little too well. Makes mm-hmm. you wonder what they're like in real life, but. They're just that good at performing, I'm sure. Yeah, I thought it was funny that, you know, this guy, Charles Barkley's character was basically trying to get an edge on the competition by, I don't know, taking a different approach.
1: Right. Uh, I'm a little, little split on this because on the one hand, I really, really like the idea of a contestant that is willing to literally like put it all on the line to get the the upper hand on, on a game show as trivial as this, right? Like such a low stakes game show for such a high stakes move. Uh, I think that's clever. I think that's a a funny notion to have the only problem that I really had with this sketch, aside from some of the performance stuff from Charles Barkley, like it's charming, but again, he doesn't, help a sketch when a lot of the dialogue is on him and he really has to, you know, speak with passion or whatever, because he's monotonous and, and there's, there's no like facial emoting <laughs> like, it's just, it's very hard to, um, track a character when there's so little presented from him. Yeah. So there's obviously some performance things that way, but what kind of made me feel like this was a little lackluster was right at the end, they have a moment where in the midst of them trying to offer him like some sincere emotional help he's getting dumped on by garbage and the word loser is like being blared throughout the studio or whatever. So it's kind of like exacerbating uh, an already delicate situation with someone who's kind of like emotionally fragile or, or volatile. So I thought the funnier idea was the idea of the game show kind of like pushing a man over the edge, right? Like he's, he's giving these allusions to uh, being sort of like emotionally off and the game shows graphics and sounds and production and everything is just like coming down on them like a ton of bricks. I thought that that was like the funniest joke of the whole thing. And it just kind of flew by at the end and didn't really get explored. And, and I just was scratching my head at the end saying, okay, so we had a couple minutes of sort of like middle of the road exploration of this one funny concept that didn't really build a whole lot. And then there was this really like funny idea at the end and I just didn't even get to bite into it. So fun, but I wanted more.
0: Just a little bit more at the end.
1: Yeah. So after that, we get a group of manly construction workers discussing their envy of women's fashion. Another socially relevant topic that SNL has been hitting hard week over week. We've seen
0: this concept played out um, with those guys talking about uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) Yeah. what they were.
1: It was the Chris Pine episode. And yeah, they were all mechanics at an auto shop. Mechanics,
0: that's what it was. And
1: then they have a like a Swayze Farley style dance off with Bobby Moynihan and Chris Pine at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I immediately went back to that sketch too. That is the, the obvious sister sketch of this one.
0: Absolutely. Right. And it was a good slow burn. You know, not everyone was on board with the conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's what made it funny. Like when Beck finally was won over. Right it's not like an obvious thing where he's like, "Oh, okay, I'm all right now. He starts talking about covering his shoulders (laughs) and like all of a sudden that knowledge is there of, of, uh, women's fashion.
1: Yes. Yeah. The, the sensitivity was in him the whole time. Yeah.
0: And I think that's what they're trying to say is that like toxic masculinity is something that we've learned.
1: Sure. Um, that's kind of neat that the odd man out was the masculine guy. It wasn't like you have a whole bunch of conventional characters and then you have one ridiculous character. It's like everyone in the sketch was in Bizarro world, except Beck, which was kind of a, a neat way to frame it, which isn't usually how it goes. Like with the other sketch, the Chris Pine, uh, RuPaul one, everybody is feeling out the situation very cautiously to see if anyone else is willing to open up about their true feelings about RuPaul. Right. Whereas this one, everyone's wearing it on their sleeve and Beck is the only guy who's like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, when did we stop being like manly men with the cat calls and whatnot? <laughs> right. So uh, I liked that. I, I, I felt like that was a, a fun and new kind of way to frame this sort of thing. And I felt like the really long detailed, um, well thought out, clothing choices that they're describing those little runs of dialogue were a lot of fun because it's painting a picture of guys who have thought this through like they go home and they stand in front of the mirror and figure out what accessorizes with what and they're just like really totally in tune with it uh that that was fun to watch so i, I felt like all the characters here Uh, we're really making me smile and Charles Barkley as well, because he sticks out like a sore thumb as far as someone that you would think would be sort of genteel or tapped into their, their feminine side or whatever. So there was a lot here that I I thought was working well. I enjoyed it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. What needs a little bit of work is, uh, Charles Barkley's miming skills with a jackhammer. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Those, those were not matching up with the sound effects.
1: Yeah. There's a lot we could say about what Charles Barkley cannot bring to his hosting of SNL, but for whatever reason, he's just sincere and earnest and he stands there and he does his best. And I don't know, it just kind of works. Um, so I, I'm, I'm okay with everything he brought tonight. Fumbly as it was. Sure. All right. Let's take a look at our 10 to one. We get another outing of last call with Sheila Sauvage. Um, few new site gags. We had the, the dental thing, which seemed to kind of be the, uh, crux of the sketch. Yeah. Do you feel like that was enough for another outing of Sheila Sauvage?
0: I think what made me enjoy this and, and welcome Sheila's return is, uh, Keenan's reaction. Sure. We know Keenan and his reactions. Mm-hmm. It's his thing on the show. I feel like they went, a whole nother level with this one joining ISIS, putting himself in a body <laughs> bag, literally, literally turning into stone. There were some reactions that took a, took a little bit of work to, <laughs> to pull off on, on TV. And that to me was what was working the best in this outing.
1: Yeah. There was one moment where you can tell that, uh, Kate and Charles are, waiting for the stage hands to roll in that statue. Like they're really trying to hold long on their kiss or their interaction or whatever, because the camera can't cut away from them until the stage hands have got that in place. And, and shuffled off of the set. So you did see a few of the seams there a little bit as they're kind of like breaking a bit, like looking back and forth, darting their eyes, trying to figure out, you know, are we still on camera? Like how long do we have to hold this? (laughs) This is super weird, but that just makes it more fun. Cause this whole sketch is just supposed to be a, a train wreck. Let's put the host in a situation that is awkward and gross. And just like, let's push them to their limit of what they're willing to do on camera. And so for that, it's always a win. I never want to see this more than we have to because I feel like there's going to be one of these times where it's just going to just hit the wrong way and then it's never going to work again. And I feel like we're not quite to that point, but I I really feel like the well is running dry on this one.
0: Yeah. A few droplets left. Maybe. Yeah. We'll have to see how we feel when we see yet another one, if we do. Yeah.
1: All right. That's our episode recap. Let's talk moment of the night. My moment of the night
0: is going to be yet again, a single line from Chris red. Okay. That red carpet sketch when he uh replaces Beck on stage right, yeah. as, as the new co-host. What does he say? It's great to be here. Is this a trap? <laughs> yeah. I lost it. I mm-hmm. lost it. It was perfectly sold, you know, that reporter, that E personality. <laughs> it was it was just done so well. And Chris Red has always given me such gems with a single line before. And this isn't the first time I've given him moment of the night.
1: Yep. Yeah. He is uh, genuinely naturally funny. He does make a lot of that material work. I feel like he's doing fantastic. Him and Heidi really have distinguished themselves in a lot of ways. And I think at this point, I got to say, Chris red is for me, the current newbie front runner.
0: Yeah, no, you're right.
1: Yeah. So I can totally get behind that as a moment. I'm giving my moment to, uh, when Bobo, the puppet, uh, begins to try and generate static on Mr. Leonard's thigh. Yeah. There's something about uh, Sesame Street style puppetry married to something uh, sexual (laughs) that I find instantly funny. The absurd visual of it and the raunchiness of it and the innocence of a Muppet and a child's television show with something like that on screen. There was just a whole lot that just came together. So even though that sketch on the whole, you know, I don't think that it was a, absolutely fantastic sketch or, you know, super groundbreaking that one moment I burst out laughing. I thought that's, that's just a really great moment to bring the sketch to a head. So that worked for me. I was
0: loving it. And what really was the icing on the cake was Charles Barkley trying not to break (laughs) Yeah. the corners of his lips were going up. He, he was amused.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Okay. So, uh, let's talk best sketch.
0: Ah, best sketch. So my best sketch Came pretty early. It was the first sketch after the monologue. Okay. The grabbies. Yep. I thought it had a um, very clear direction of where it was going and it was executed very well. I think they got the energy. They nailed it there. And um, I think most uh, most everybody involved was on their A game for that one. Yep.
1: Uh, yeah. It's, there's a reason why they you know pushed that up to the front of the show. They felt that that was some solid material. And despite my misgivings about how politically oriented so much of tonight's content was I can't deny that it was a perfectly competent sketch. So I I can respect that. I'm going with the first feature and weekend update. Um, hope Hicks discussing her semester abroad at the white house. I felt like it was genius to frame her character as a like high school valedictorian kind of thing, kind of giving this, uh, this impassioned speech to all of her peers that she's leaving behind, you know, after summer camp or after school or whatever it was. And then pulling in the vitamin C Canon and D graduation song. It just felt very perfectly realized.
0: Yeah. No, you're not wrong.
1: Okay. MVP. I was on the
0: fence with this one, mm-hmm. but I'm actually going to pick Chris red. Okay. He didn't have the most screen time tonight, but everything he did was great. All his uh, character work all of his line delivery. Yeah, I just thought like his uh his dating game character, um his grabby's character, all that stuff was was <laughs> solid work.
1: Yeah, you know what? I was really struggling with this because this wasn't a show where there was any one player that super dominated, where just every moment seemed to belong to them. It wasn't one of those kind of shows, and I was really struggling to find someone that I felt was really a standout tonight. But now that you lay that out, I think I agree. I think I'm going to give it to Chris red too. Everything he did was super competent. Every sketch that he was in the material that he had, whether it was just a very small, quick roll or something more prominent, he didn't do anything wrong. He just had the right energy, the right take on the character. He just, he executes and he's, he's developing a track record of that. We don't have many like fumbly stilted moments from him. And, uh, that's just really great to see. So, uh, I can, I can get behind that. I'm going to give it to him too. All right. Yeah. Uh, He's kind of blowing up. I know that he's got a lot of things that he's got, even if they're just kind of like bit parts or just kind of quick one episode stints, people are liking what they're seeing. Like they're saying, yeah, this guy can bring something fun to an episode of my show. Let's call him in. Like he seems to really be getting a lot of heat that way, which is great.
0: Off to a great start for sure.
1: Yep. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode?
0: I think it's fair to say this is a weak one. Yeah. I enjoyed parts of it. And I just felt that the tone of the show was, uh, I, th- I felt it was a bit off the market times. Okay. They had these challenges with, you know, a non performer uh, <laughs> host, right. things like that. That's stuff you got to work around. And it's endearing in a way. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of get a laugh out of how bad <laughs> of an actor <laughs> Charles Barkley is. Like it's part of the charm of him hosting. Right. But yeah, it it does cause for a lot of problems with blocking lines. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the writing on a lot of these sketches could have been better. Yep.
1: No, that's all fair. And uh, I think that's where I'm going to land too. On first viewing, I walked away feeling like there was something not satisfying about the show. Um, All of the quibbles that you mentioned, those are all totally valid. But for me, the big thing that I think really dragged it down was just how politically oriented or, you know, socially oriented. A lot of the material was, I need a little bit of relief. And, uh, I look to SNL for that as well. I don't necessarily want SNL to be the evening news, right? Like I I don't want it to be, uh, the thing that pulls me back into all the craziness of our reality and some of the, you know, the dark things that happen during the news cycle or the month that SNL is off. So I know that there's a good reason why they're leaning into it. It gets headlines. It's getting them viewers because it's making them relevant. It's making them part of the conversation. I understand it, but this is one of the most like politically charged and politically uh, sort of biased eras of SNL. And sometimes that works like on a lighter week when there isn't something really, really divisive for them to show their Uh, biases for the show really works well when it's kind of political and hard hitting, but in a more populous way, I feel like it really works, but with some really tricky partisan issues, uh, I can't help but kind of cringe and be pulled out of the moment or with some of the social issues that we just see week over week. Now it seems like every week there's going to be a sketch about sex monsters in Hollywood. Honestly, like (laughs) for season 43, we probably could go back and find that topic in pretty much every episode. Uh, so I mean like just how many times do we want to go down that path? The sketches are funny on their own, but when you mash them up into kind of a constant drumbeat of a topic, it gets a little grating. And so I was feeling like some of that topic fatigue was hitting me hard this week. And, uh, that coupled with a host that limits what they can do with the show and material that seemed a little bit limiting in a lot of ways. It all just kind of sifts out into a little bit of a weak episode. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that's where we land on our first show of March, but we've got some really interesting host choices coming up for the next two weeks and the, the Bill Hader episode, especially I'm uh, hoping for some great things. So we'll uh, we'll just keep plugging forward. Yay. See what we see. Let's keep on trucking. Yep. All right. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn and thanks as well to our repertory player patrons, Jonathan Jordan and Aaron and Trader. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Sterling K. Brown and musical guest James Bay. This has been episode number 42 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and a pleasant tomorrow.
0: What a great week, everybody here at SNL. Thanks to Migos, Alec Baldwin, Alec Rodriguez, and Hillary Knight. Thank you. (laughs) Johnny, never forget our little inside joke. The meeting was about Russian adoption. <laughs> He'll get that, you won't get that. <laughs> you know, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and this is the hardest one. Ivanka,
1: my BSS, you were the one who told me about this internship or job or what is it? <laughs> And ever since then,
0: it's been like a never-ending sleepover. Like one where you wake up in the middle of the night and you open your eyes and you're like, is that my friend's dad in the doorway? Is he just like standing there watching us? What is And it was that moment just stretched out
1: over three years, hearts girl. And to everyone else at the Trump White House, I'll see you guys at the reunion in 10 years. Seven with good behavior. Oh, picks everyone. I have so much money. Oh, these. Thank you. So